Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online Masters of Social Work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu. Fuck off. I don't know shit about fuck. I like sucking. Legit bad podcast. I work with retards. Uh, oh yeah. Ow! Welcome to Costco. I love you. Bullshit. Welcome to Legit Bat Podcast. I'm Joe. This is Jen with me, my lovely wife. And today we're going to be talking Mud Flood, maybe some Tartaria. It just depends on what Ari's got in his arsenal tonight. Uh, last time we talked to him, it was a great show, probably one of our highest rated shows we've put out. Uh, and that we actually, that was a crazy time too, because we had Andreas mm-hmm. Zertis, we had Mark here. And Mark is back today, Mark Steves from My Family Thinks I'm Crazy. And also a special guest host. Chris from the rant, Rained Out Rantcast. I almost just said Rantcast, but I'm going to get that right. So How's thanks, everybody, for joining us. Uh, we'll start, uh, Mark, start with your little plugs and where we can find you and your show. Cool. What's up? Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for having my friend Chris here. And, uh, yeah, I, uh, I've i just uploaded, actually, that last conversation that we had with Andreas Zertis and Ari and I mean that was a whirlwind of a conversation so I'm excited that we have an opportunity to get deeper into Ari's work because every time I talk to him it's I mean so fascinating and uh, yeah if people want to check out my stuff my family thinks some crazy.com has it all and we just put a new shop so if you like <clears throat> jewelry I for a long time made my own wire wrap crystal jewelry and i think i'm going to start selling it so if that feels like something that you should uh own or you want to check it out at the least uh go over to my family crazy.com and hit up the shop hell yeah i'll wow. probably do that i know yeah, i was like that's something i want to own so. yeah and then chris from rained out rentcast give us your your pluggies yeah uh, i had me muted there for a second uh <laughs> yeah I have the show, The Rained Out Rantcast. You can catch me uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts. and I'm usually on the Twitters. I haven't been banned off the Twitter yet. Uh, That's crazy. Twitter at Rained Out Rant. Like I said, search for me anywhere. Usually I pop up, except for YouTube. YouTube, I got I, I opened another channel, and I, I can't even find myself. <laughs> oh, you're super banned. Something like that. And last but not least, Ari... <laughs> Sulin, right? Sulin. I always yep, get that. Yep, You got it this time. How's it going? Uh, you got anything you want to plug or anything new you're yeah, working sure. on? Yeah, uh, sure. My website, paradigmthreat.net. It's uh, all my project and research. Um, it's been on pause. I need to update the website. It's been about two years since I had anything to it. But I think that's a, a pretty good thing because um, my research the last two years around the mud flood has been nothing but a roller coaster. It's been. Um, as let's just call it a hypothesis. The mud flood theory is a hypothesis 
that just fits everything so scarily well that, you know, it's a wide open field. So I wasn't ready yet to make any conclusions <clears throat> about a year ago or even now. I felt this topic has matured significantly, especially during the podcast. I've been asked a lot of questions, a lot of challenges. It's been great, actually. And uh, yeah. I'm hoping I got some good answers for you guys tonight. So awesome yeah we did have a i put a little ad on instagram up for the show and i had a at bratwurst i think his name is he was uh very critically thinking about it he's like i don't know what to believe anymore i don't believe anything i i don't quite get the whole mud flood thing but he's been looking into it so yeah shout out to that guy for using his noggin so where did you want to start with this tonight uh I know you work very meticulously and I'm sure you have slides to share a uh, quick plug. If anybody wants to see the video version of this, it's rokfin.com slash legit bat. And you can see all the uh, wonderful pictures that we, and our face, you can see our face too. Whole face. But anyway, I'll, I'm going to toss it over to you Ari. And uh, if you need help with the screen share, cause I don't really know how this fucking program works. Uh, no, I'll try it right now. Let's see it. Screen share. Stream yards. Pretty nice. And, yeah. And yeah, I'm, I'm like, so, there we go. Is this working? Yeah. I, oh. I don't see it. No. I'm sure there's like that one more thing I should do, right? Yeah, well, I don't know. On the bottom left, I see my screen share and it's gray. Oh, here, let me try fix. Click, click on the screen share, the gray part, and it, I think it says add. Edit name, stop screen. Oh, gotcha. That's my bad. There you go. Whoa. Whoa, Whoa. that's weird. Hang on. Yeah, that's good. We all just fell into a different reality. Okay. <laughs> all right. Check your hands. Are we dreaming? <laughs> nope. We're good. Twilight Zone. <laughs> Whoa. It keeps getting weird. Sorry. Okay. I had to do one more time. <laughs> All right, so uh, <clears throat> yeah, my website, ParadigmThreat.net. <clears throat> Mostly I've been collecting images, memes, you got it, videos um, related to the mud flood, just trying to get sort of a grasp on it. I hadn't seen this theory until about a year ago. Um, <clears throat> the idea is sometime around the 19th century, early 19th century, um, here on planet Earth, the entire planet all at the same time experienced what's called a mud flood because mud landed in all locations, raising the level of the earth anywhere from a few feet up to 20 or 50 feet in some areas. And um, without leaving behind a lot of history or explanation, this is something that apparently appears to be 100% covered up in all parts of the planet. So to me personally, it represents the biggest mystery out there. It's the biggest in our face mystery. It's bigger than, you know, the moon landing or, or anything that's hypothetical. This is like you can go throughout Europe and you can find these mud flood buildings and then you can go back to America and you can find more of them. And, uh, you know, go to China, find more of them. So you got, you got pretty much the world covered in mud. We don't know why. So um, I call my theory, the mud flood energy event. The idea is that if you don't know <clears throat> where the energy came from, then you don't have a theory. So you have to look for the energy that moved all that mud. Um, so this is the page for that. I'm just going to kind of run through. Uh, images at random here. I know it's not really organized or anything yet. Um, my theory for why this happened, I may have covered in the last um, podcast, is related to uh, my Mars theory, which is that humans on Mars have been living there since the origin of Earth and Mars, our shared history, and that they have been influencing affairs here on Earth 
this whole time. This theory uh, that I presented a few years back, started doing podcasts over it. Um, I was ready to conclude on that one. I had a lot of evidence, um, especially 19th century literature, predictive programming, movies, um, video games, you name it. Um, so that one was like easy. This mud flood topic is wide open. We not only do we not know why it happened, we don't know how it happened. And um, we have to come up with a hypothesis that sort of explains um, like a, a model that can explain anything we see on earth from the weird mountains in Utah to mud flood buildings and why they're covered up. All of this has to be explained by a single theory. So um, get, I'm not going to get into my timeline here. I love this clip here from uh, V from Vendetta. You know, they, um, he shows up in a mask. And he tells these cops, hey, you guys know all the details already. What you're missing is the story, right? So we actually have all these facts about the mud flood, about history of war, uh, industrial revolution, Napoleon, you name it. We have the facts, but we don't have why it happened. We don't have a theory. And then we have all these weird left behind uh, paintings, uh, topics like uh, Halley's Comet, for example. Um, have any, any of you guys seen this uh, painting? I think it's a 19, 14th century yeah, or 15. Yeah. Uh, no, that's a weird fucking painting. It right, looks like a deer is being yeah. lightning bolted or laser beamed in half in the yeah, sky. Totally. <laughs> so it's, it's supposed to be a painting about the Black Death that was related to Halley's Comet. Um, mm. All right, so let's take a look at that painting again. Um, you see sort mm -hmm. of like the comet, I suppose, in the sky, but there's two of them. They're shooting lasers. The lasers are hitting buildings. The buildings are catching on fire. You got people on the ground. If you ask me, these people look like giants because that looks like a horse to me, and that looks like a big giant, and they're obviously dying. So something is happening that's being illustrated in this painting. It does not appear to be a comet to me. If you ask me, this is um, what we call blood rain. Blood rain is a concept in the mud flood theory. It's, um, it's, it's not something actually related to what the mud flood is or why. It's just something found in the 19th century considerably all over the world. And it's atmospheric dust here on Earth that uh, basically is red. And it gathers in the sky and it falls to the ground as reddish mud. Um, normally mud falls to the ground as brown, but in this case, the blood rain particularly looked red. So it appears red in these paintings. And you know, another illustration of some mud falling from the sky here. Um, so, and okay, here's, here's one I like a lot. You got sort of this deluge happening in the background. You got all these people just coming to the priest and they're like, what do we do about this? And the priest is like, oh, you don't know? God's angry at you guys. You, know, you, you totally weren't doing what we want you to do in the last hundred years. So what'd you expect? Uh, it really seems to me that this mud flood event led people right after the 19th century into the 20th century into our lives to really believe that there is an invisible creator God here on earth, controlling our, influencing our, our affairs to the point that he got really upset at us apparently in the 19th century and reset our civilization. It, it, it take that route and it sort of explains a lot. The Mormons, they believe that it's right there in the, in the book of more uh, in the book of Mormon, right? The, uh, that the um, Nephites of, of America were wiped out by God that they did were wiped out because they were sinful or wicked or something like that. And here you got these giants, you know, being wiped out in this painting. It, it correlates all over the world, not just with Mormons, that this happened. And people believed it not invisibly, like hypothetically, because they're fundamentalists and they love the Bible, not because of that reason, but because they more or less saw it happen with their own eyes and then told their grandkids about it. The grandkids believed them point blank 
And then about 10 generations later, here we are today. We got all these old world people or old world people around the planet who really believe that God influences our affairs intimately and we do we do not disobey. So getting off topic there. It really seems like the closer you look to look at the mud flood event, uh, the closer the more it seems like not only was life purposefully reset here on earth in the early 19th century, but it was purposefully reorganized as well. The way of describing the reorganization of life on earth, you could basically narrow it down to one term, cargo cults. Now, what are cargo cults? These are <clears throat> any type of civilization dependent on trains and cargo. Uh, yeah, that's everyone, right? That's absolutely everyone on earth. Every country in this planet, if you name it, uh, you look at the trains, that's what brings everyone their food, all of us. Um, the, it's not by accident. It's not by industrial revolution. Um, obviously, the bankers had to get you know, influence around the world before they can get these trains set up. So what caused them to have such influence around the world in the 19th century that they could set up all these trains and cargo everywhere, you know, everywhere on earth? Uh, in Saudi Arabia, you got these plantations. In the South, in America, you got plantations. Um, and of course, in South, South America. Um, in these pictures, you basically see people looking up at the sky and they are praying and they are waiting for something to happen. Um, in Turkey, see if I could find that video here, uh, right there. No, I wasn't ready for that, but um, there's a video, really amazing one of uh, dancers in Turkey. And they are basically, well, I'll get to that in a second. Uh, these dancers in Turkey are spinning around and that's their religion. That's what they do. The uh, whirling dervishes. Yeah, you got it. Um, you know, why do they do that? Why do they believe that God wants to see that? Um, you know, it's not, it's not my theory. A lot of people are pointing out that it must have been inspired by some sort of cargo cult from the sky signaling and that they must have done that thinking that they'll continue to receive cargo. Um, so anyway, that's concept of cargo cults. Um, so cause I, can we just clarify this for a second? Cause I mm -hmm. know, I know, like, I mean, I can remember in anthropology class, not to take it to that realm yeah, when please. they defined cargo cults, they were like, pretty strictly defined to like that those islands that were only interacted with uh during world war ii in the pacific theater when the right, uh, allied right, right. forces left all that stuff but i i understand how you're using that concept as if like you know uh you can kind of in a microcosm macrocosm way apply what happened to those islanders to civilization at large because of right. the innovations that you know came with the industrial revolution or so we're told came with the industrial revolution exactly you got it so the industrial revolution could have happened spontaneously on its own or it could have been an example of reset culture where you got a really eclectic sort of spread out societies on earth suddenly we're all we're all uniform and we're all working together with the same technology and the trains look the same and the planes look the same and the guns look the same so um Here's a video I found online. You can see these these um, cities, I think Kansas, clearly covered up with layers of mud, you know, way past the second level. Um, <clears throat> above here, I got another video of these giant doors. You can find giant doors all over Europe. You know, these are obviously too big for people. Why were they built? Decorative? Look, there's tiny doors inside the giant doors right there in that video. Uh, no, these doors were made for giants. And it's very clear that there were giants up until about 200 years ago. I was watching Dr. Katz. I can't believe that in season three, randomly, this one comedian mentions it. He says, I would play the video, but it's not ready. He says, everyone knows that giants were killed off 200 years ago. He's making a joke about it in the middle of the show. It does seem to me like the celebrities do know about the truth of giants. 
That that door in door thing looks like some Willy Wonka shit. It yeah. looks cartoonish. I know. There has to be an explanation for these giant doors. Uh, let's get into that quickly. Um, I do believe that there was a campaign against giants on Earth for the purposes of control. Why does that matter? Why would you get control out of wiping out giants? Well, um, essentially, <clears throat> and this is true in that movie, Princess Mononoke, if you wipe out the giant in the civilization, then the civilization goes back to normal. They have nothing to believe in anymore. That was their that god, was and you killed it. So um, when when somebody wipes out giants across the planet, they, they make us leaderless. Um, we, we no longer have anyone to go and call when the tyrants show up, you know what I'm saying? And, and bringing on the communism of the 19th century that caused all of our world wars, you can pretty much think, well, maybe these giants were stopping world wars from happening. Maybe they're part of our reasonable human society. And maybe by taking them out, this was a, an attempt to basically reset human civilization, to get us to stop believing that these giants ever existed. However, so much evidence of them has been left behind. Of course, you got the, um, the mounds here in America. You got burial mounds. And these illustrations make it seem like they're not giants at all, tiny humans buried in these mounds. Um, but going back to mud flood theory, if you consider mud flood theory that potentially up to like 20, 30 feet of mud suddenly hit Earth, all at once in certain regions, like here in America, then you can reinterpret all of these burial mounds that we find in America, the ones that the Smithsonian has been bulldozing for 200 years, for some reason, get rid of that evidence. Those mounds might not be burial mounds. Of course, they're buried. But as you see in this illustration here, they never make any sense. They're usually buried with their tools, like next to them, as if they just fell to the ground. And then the anthropologists are like, oh, how cool they buried their tools. They want us to know about their tools. No. They just fell to the ground and their tools are with them and their animals are with them and they, they're piled weirdly, weird directions. So this is not intentional burial mounds. This is clearly a, a catastrophic affair. They hit these these Native American giants all at once. Uh, See, so yeah, I think that's some more giant pictures, but we can move on there. Any questions about that? No, I, I just had uh, one comment. So the things I've heard you know, from different listeners is, trying to figure out it's always the why right or how so how how did this mud happen i'm sure you'll get into your theories on that but the the how is always a big thing you know like yeah. how did this just fucking happen all of a sudden and we didn't like see it coming right well let's skip ahead because that's a very important question let's just get right to it um i got this picture right here i think i showed it last time I showed the video of this um this is from the simpsons right it's just a halloween episode but it shows a giant laser being built and aimed at another planet with a slave colony building it. Now, this is predictive programming uh, for sure. Now, we, we don't know why, and I, I'm not going to say I'm right or anything like that about this, but I, no doubt this is predictive programming. Anything that has to do with aliens, for example, um, they want us to believe something specific. Uh, very clearly with these kinds of aliens, they want us to believe that they're not humans and they're not local and all kinds of stuff, that they're not from Mars. But this video unmistakably shows demonstrates that potentially in our history, we could have had an interplanetary affair. All it would have taken is humans on Mars to enslave each other and force each other to build this laser. Now, why would they do that? Um, just to get uh, back to the point, um, a, a giant space laser would be exactly what you'd need to create the mud flood event. They don't work exactly as you think they do like in Star Wars, but um, it's more like just simply energy released, energy 
um, charged up and released, and that place, the only place it can go is the nearest planet. The nearest planet to Mars is Earth. During opposition, during every 26 months, we're actually very close in our electromagnetic fields actually touch. During that time, if you were to fire energy in that direction on Earth, you would have a precision instrument that can take out any region. And if you were to use that instrument, everyone would see it happen. That you would you would have to use it strategically. Um, this is where I started to get into the predictive programming of the mud flood. I believe that they they actually talked to us. They showed us all of the history of this event through predictive programming. Another big example would be um, Ender's Game. This book, Ender's Game, is about essentially a kid Ender who is charged with winning this war between two planets, and the strategy that Ender chooses is a, a one of total annihilation, knowing that if they were to only defeat some certain of their enemies on the other planet, that the other ones would rally against them. If they leave anyone behind that remembers anything, they would rally against them. And if they were to ever try this again in the future, they would fail. So based on those um, points, he chose a maximum damage strategy, one that was so devastating it wiped out the other planet and his own fleet. So this is this book, Ender's Game, is actually predictive programming talking about our recent history. This event, this mud flood event, couldn't only have been done in one way. It had to have been a maximum event because anything else would have left behind evidence. They needed everyone to believe that this was an invisible God doing it because he's angry at us because we haven't obeyed him. Uh, it can't be anything else. Anything else would fail. If they find out that this is another planet and humans on that planet, then the gig is up. So um, the jig is up. So in the late 19th century, you start to see all of the literature about Mars and humans on Mars visiting us, influencing our affairs, disappear into a new category called science fiction, starting with the book War of the Worlds in 1900. That was the year it was released. And from then on, on out, we do not believe in Martians anymore. So anyway, a lot of topics there. But the, the cause of the mud flood event, as far as I'm concerned, is a giant energy release from Mars. No other planet would do, and it wouldn't work for it to have just been local. It wouldn't work for it to be a natural event, or we'd see it happen again. Um, the Tunguska event is actually a great example of this problem. Tunguska, if you look it up on Wikipedia, allegedly happened in 1912 and dev devastated Siberia. Um, so a lot of people ask, why aren't we looking for this event in the future? Why, why, don't, why aren't we worried about this? You know, they talk about solar flares and nuclear bombs, but this Tunguska event is far bigger than that scale. Um, and scientists today don't look for it. So we we have to look at these clues. Sorry, that's my cat. We have to look at these clues as um, this is these are signs of cover-up. They, they're not looking for the explanation of the Tunguska event because they, they know what it is. It was a one-time thing. It, the sky opened up. The columns of fire came down. It's, it's very well described. Go look at it yourself. It's, it's very easily um, hypothesized as a space laser. So anyway, jumping around there a little bit. Sorry. Um, those Mormons in South Park, you know, they, they try to, um, they, the Book of Mormon clearly says that the Native Americans were wiped out because God was mad at them. And here in South Park, we're trying to debunk that theory as if it's, uh, you know, religious, you know, superstition. Here is a um, picture from, um, I can't remember the name right now, electric universe researcher who showed how the, um, the coast, the West Coast of America, North and South, uh, was clearly devastated by an electrical storm at some point in our history. He doesn't know when, but he does know that um, this region is 
I'll see if I can find that video because that's a really cool video. But if you have any questions, please ask them. No, who was? Oh, the, Are there no. any theories on that electrical storm, or is that just a cover for the giant space laser? Oh, here we go. So Andy Hall. Um, <clears throat> electrical storm. I'm sorry. Which one were you asking about? Oh, I, I, you were just showing the picture of the electrical storm thing. Is that a cover for the giant space lasers, or is there a, a like a cause of a giant electrical storm? Is it just from the sun? Um, sorry, let me, I was, uh, I was just scrolling quickly there. Um, which picture, oh, this one. Okay. Yeah. So coronal means, uh, right there on the crown, crown of the, of the, uh, sun, you see these little loops. That's the Corona and a coronal storm system with on earth would be these giant loops of energy that, that arcs from region to region, huge, um, arcs of energy, continent size. They would look a lot like the Chinese dragon. In fact, if you look at China as a cargo cult, which potentially is that they might be worshiping this electric arc, which they remember seeing only a hundred years ago, arcing over their lands, devastating anything it touches. And not from the sky, not flat flying, but against the ground and searching for, for something. So that that's their God. They remember that in China. Um, let me take oh. a look at that region here. Oh, ring of fire. It's a perfect way of describing it actually. So in the ring of fire region, we have all these volcanoes, right? We don't know why, these volcanoes are here. We assume they have something to do with continental plates. Continental plate theory, of course, um, needs the, the Earth to be you know, very old, millions of years, so that the plates move extremely slowly so that we can't see any evidence of them moving in our lifetime. So we just have to believe that these areas are active. But, a, but if you look at, um, if, if in the mud flood theory, if you look at a high release of energy um, landing on Earth, it, all that energy has to go somewhere. It's not going to just coalesce into explosion points like in Hollywood movies. It's literally going to find the largest landmass and heat it up. It's going to drive all the energy into it. That energy is going to go underground and it's going to come back up, reappearing out of the ground in these giant coronal storm systems. So as I said, a Andrew Hall makes this very clear in his research. Get that real quickly. Yeah, sorry, not in order. Okay. So he has pointed out the entire Utah section um, is lightning scarred. The, these are not regions carved by water or um, you know storms or anything like that. These are quickly formed regions um, from heat. Um, you got plateaus, which mimic the same uh, sort of dendritic scarring. Um, it can be reproduced in laboratories. The Sapphire Project does reproduce these. Uh, forms in laboratories. Um, let me move that there. Um, so this this uh, this guy Andrew Hall really clued me into this idea that this region was lightning scarred. Heath doesn't know when it happened, but I believe that it could have happened as as recently as 200 years ago. Um, so let's get into that a little bit. Um, <clears throat> you guys have seen a map of California in the prior to the 18th century, right? As an island, have you guys seen that map? I don't think so. I haven't seen that map. It's uh, known as a cartographic error. Um, so here you go is the picture. And as you can see, the entire... Come on, zoom it in. These guys don't make it easy, do they? Oh, oh wow. Google Images on your computer is awful. Yeah, I went to another website then. Bear with me. There it is. All right, so um, California's... You can see there, there's an... There's a ocean or a river between them. 
California wasn't always connected to the landmass here on Earth. Um, this isn't the first discrepancy of older maps that I can point out. Um, one of my favorite authors, Anatoly Fomenko, has this book, Maps of the 18th Century, has all kinds of problems. He lists all the problems. Uh, when we start with the 19th century, it seems that the map was changed. So what are we talking about uh, by change? Uh, oops, scrolling there. Um, <clears throat> there used to be this river called the Rio Grande. It's still there, and it does flow. Um, but it, in the old maps, it was the only river. There was no Colorado River. Um, I don't have the maps with me, but I could, I could go back to it and point out um, that the Colorado River um, <clears throat> was a redirection of the water table that used to feed the Rio Grande into the, into the ocean. And that now it goes to that corner where California used to, um, used to be an island. There, uh, and, and we all know in California, there's this thing called the San Andreas Fault, which also um, marks the location that used to be an ocean between the island of California. So the point is that these land masses, according to the 18th century maps, changed in the 19th century. They changed right away, boom, like that. Like one event changed them. It wasn't slow, it wasn't tectonic plates, and it wasn't erosion. Um, you, you got um, you got explorers like Cortez that went to California but did not, you know, um, they did not uh, claim any location because they knew they couldn't because there were giants living there. You got this forest called the Redwoods, the biggest trees on earth that somehow survived the Dust Bowl event. You got almost no other trees in that region. It's a bunch of desert, almost looks like the Sahara Desert near where I live in Arizona. So all of this can actually be explained by the mud flood event. The, this, this region, this California island, received all the same energy that the other regions did. However, since it's an island, it, the energy coalesced around it and forced it to fuse together into the major continent uh, uh, that, of North America. Um, yeah, are you, to, is, go ahead, questions? Is what you're saying a sudden, uh, rapid, like separate, like... Was it Pangaea that was supposed to be the one continent at one point, and then that's what separated into the into the separate continents, right? Right, I got you that. Talking here. about that being a rapid separation, right? If you look at all the continents, they fit together. Yeah. Without without the hypothetical Atlantis, that's why I crossed it out. This this location does not fit for any land masses. Otherwise, Europe and Africa go right into America. But there is a land mass over here, uh, Mu or Lemuria, whatever you want to call it. Let me get a better picture here. And this landmass does make sense. This one would fit into a final um, Pangaea, you know, uh, altogether one continent. Uh, a better theory than Pangaea is actually expanding Earth theory. If you look at the possibility that all these continents used to be part of a smaller-sized Earth, and in Saturnian cosmology, Earth leaves the collinear configuration Golden Age into Cataclysm and changes size. It grows in size. So. Uh, these these continents split up, but what happened to Mu? There seems to be a, a big missing chunk of land that's supposed to be above the ocean level, not below it. Um, so what we got here, we got this place called Zealandia, or used to be called Zealandia. And now we have a place called New Zealand. You know, why is it new? It has to be answered. We need answers for that. Uh, the mud flood theory would explain it as a totally new continent carved out of, of an old one. Um, if you look at this region today, you'll see that 94% of it's underwater and that there's no explanation for that. You won't find one in geology. There's no reason for the ground to go jut up just against the ocean surface like that. But if it was being carved out by an electrical scarring from the, from the sky, then that scarring would find any region above that water and just carve it out. That, that makes sense. 
Um, so next point, we got Australia here in the, in the, in the uh, um, west of it. Australia was also called the New Land, and it was claimed by the British. And there was these um, Aborigines that were wiped out. Same story again. But there's no reason to believe that Australia was there before. It does seem to me that the landmass that was carved out of the ground here simply rose as mud flood and fell next door in Australia, creating a brand new landmass that is nothing more than desert. It is complete wasteland. If you look at the map of Australia, it does not look like any other continent on Earth. It is just wasteland. It does not match the tropical region at all. And um, everything will kill you, too. There's <laughs> that. I think only a portion of Australia is habitable, too. You can only live on the coast, and then the rest of it is nothing. Absolutely right. I used to think the whole continent was fake for a while because that's what the flat earthers were claiming. It's not well, fake, but it's very of, mysterious, mysterious. A lot of people think, don't know that Australia is about the size of the United States as far as land mass. Right. A lot of people think it's just an island hanging out over there, little island. Just like Africa, they're not, not showing us the size correctly. Yeah, they're not showing us a lot of things. Right. So that's what you're getting at is a rapid expansion which then separated the continents, right? Because my theory is the nemesis system coming through um, and causing that type of shift, that type of rapid expansion. And what is that? Planet X. Huh. Gotcha. Well, like it's like you're, right, you're saying a, it's a local uh, interplanetary event, right? This yes. isn't something natural or volcanoes. System. Yeah. Yeah. So, because... If you had something that came in through our system that's five times the size of Jupiter, bringing its own bodies with it, its own system with it, and it would start pulling on the inside of the Earth. It would start, in, I, in theory, pull the, in, the Earth inside out, basically, try to. That's, that's like right in line with something I recently learned about. Uh, it's called, it's a book by a guy named Shesh Harry. It's called The Handprint of it of atlas and sorry to take a tangent here ari but i no, think no, this fits in I, I don't know if chris has heard your work before because he is new i just uh invited him in and i love that you brought that up brother because i i know ari talks about this similar type of event with uh, mars possibly being a candidate for like an, a planet that's interfered with our planet but back to this book i have in front of me it talks about ley lines and when they're explaining ley lines. They're talking about <clears throat> how there is an asymmetrical sort of icosahedral uh, nature to our planet where it's literally pulling itself inside out from the North Pole to the South Pole uh, as these like forces, these tectonic forces are going on. So in theory, if that's already going on, maybe a planet can come along, add a bunch of energy and, and make that process speed up. I don't know. Just my uh, two cents. Totally. This, this uh, mud flood event could have been a natural event, which would just beg the question, why aren't we looking for it naturally in the future? And I'm, I'm saying that we're not. A lot of people advocating for Planet X theory are looking for this event in the future, actually. Um, so in, in my, my line of research, I, I did dive heavily into Planet X and I saw different versions of the theory. It's um, very fascinating stuff. In the end, I did subscribe to something else entirely. And I believe that, um, for example, the Earth is hollow. I believe Saturnian cosmology represents a very balanced universe where um, planets never collide or, or get in each other's face. Um, comets actually never hit the planet, ever. You'll never see a a, any kind of comet or asteroid hit this planet. Um, those, those big 
craters like the one south of, of me in Arizona are not made by um, meteor strikes or else they would have found the meteor. Um, <clears throat> and of course, they're all they're all symmetrically shaped. And you look at the moon. Those are not comet strikes either. Every single crater on the moon is symmetrically shaped, pointing outward at a perpendicular normal line and could not have been caused by any kind of impact. So um, you got Newtonian physics describing the universe with relativistic um, rule bending to make everything fit. And then Saturnian cosmology based entirely on electric universe where everything is more or less magnetic. Um, if there was an inter if there was a planet sort of close by um, affecting us, I believe that this would this imbalance would be worked out by the solar system eventually, and we'd be eventually balanced out. If Planet X interfered with our, rec our recent past, it had to have ended at some point in the past, in my opinion. What do you think about the uh, the cyclic nature of this kind of stuff? If there is a, I mean. You're kind of pointing towards you don't think the mud flood was a natural phenomenon but what do you think about people who talk about planet x who think you know it comes around every so often and causes these catastrophic things like a mud flood if you want to go that route could mars have been part of that system well uh like i said in saturnian cosmology where where um i where i'm basing my premise on um all the plants the origin of each planet is known they all came from the same place, um, Saturn, basically. That's why it's called Saturnian cosmology. So we don't need any other theories to explain any other systems in interfering with Earth in this one. It's a very simple, straightforward, balanced look at the universe. Um, but yeah, outside of that, like I said, Newtonian physics, where another solar system throws a planet at us or, you know, sun explodes or something like that, that makes anything possible. Cyclical natures, though, I, I would look out for that because um, I would think that such a thing like stuff that the Mayans would predict and so forth would be a lot more apparent, have a lot more evidence, and we'd agree a lot more on it. If it's something entirely hypothetical, like a planet's going to show up soon, but there's no evidence of it, then, you know, um, we Marshall have Masters to explain that the Mayan calendar was the nemesis system passing the elliptic right. of the sun. At that. Yeah. Yeah, I understand. Um, here's another point to that. Um, the Mayan theory, right? It's talking about what's going to happen in 2,160 years segments, 20,000, I think, um, based on the Zodiac, based on the sun's drift of the Zodiac, which implies that the Mayans more or less believed the same thing about the sun as the Romans, the hypothetical Roman Empire, um, though they never met. And um, also believes that they agree that the sun does drift on the ellipsis. But, you know, you go look up today, you find a lot of people actually don't agree that the sun does drift, that the only way to know things like that are to write down charts and believe in them. And by the time you got an established science like the Zodiac system, it's almost impossible to say, hey, guys made a mistake. You know, sun doesn't drift. Um, maybe you guys shouldn't assume that the Mayans were talking about what you're talking about. And then people just throw you out of it. You just can't compete with that. So... The Zodiac represents a religion to me, a straight up religion. It's um basis of a lot of religions today. I believe systems is foundation of, of Roman religion and so forth. Um, uh, from Anatoly Fomenko, the author I subscribe to, and many others who, who talk about the phantom time hypothesis, straight up point out that there's been about 1,053 years added to our timeline since the year zero. And that the year zero lines up with the hypothetical zodiac starting point for uh, age of was it 
Pisces, I think. It's been a year since I looked into it. And that we're looking at the age of Aquarius coming up here. Um, right. It was Aries and then Taurus and then Pisces. I think I might be. I think I got it. Yeah. And so you got Taurus, you know, it's like a bull. And so you got people worshiping the bull at the early age. And they got Aries after that, people sacrificing lambs. And, and it's like you have to believe that that much time actually existed to believe in this religion. Uh, the the uh, people that subscribe to Fomenko clearly do not. They do not believe that that is our timeline. It's much shorter than that. And that um, it's impossible for the Mayans to have possibly been using that kind of timeline. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's a, he's saying it's a construct of the Holy Roman Empire that they fabricated documents. It would just be impossible for the Mayans to also have the same documents. You, if you look at the, what we found about the Mayans, that lining up with European timelines, you can just conclude that it's, it's possibly an attempt to reinforce the timeline even further by saying, look, we found other people that have it. But you got to remember that the Mayans were wiped out. They are wiped out by the Aztecs, who then were wiped out by the, by the uh, Spanish colonists. So over and over, these people were indoctrinated into new religions. And the religion we know of today is something that the Europeans brought there. So that Zodiac religion is not from the Mayans. They did not talk about future predictions. If you go to Brazil, Rio de Janeiro, you'll see the uh, Redeemer of Christ statue up there. Uh, that is entirely a colonialist project. It was very far away from the Jesus story in Europe. They brought that stuff there. It is not indigenous. So anyway, uh, my point about the, the Mayans is you can't really use it as evidence that you know these timelines are real because they're they're they were an enslaved culture. What they believe today and what they left behind is not the truth. Sorry. Yeah, well, I love what you said about that. No, about the uh, thousand years or so missing from yeah. history. We talked about that frequently, and it makes sense, especially when you bring in things like Tartaria. And how do you think Tartaria fits in with mud flood? Do you think that was a like a I don't know an enemy to whoever? That's where the giants it? lived, though. That like the giant race lived in Tartaria. Exactly. Um, <clears throat> that's the real question here. Why did this happen? Why why would this happen? Uh, if this really is a human affair, if this isn't natural, then you, you got to look at it from a strategic point of view. It seems that um, Martians, humans on, on Mars, who need resources from Earth to survive, it's very hard to live there, um, have been influencing our affairs for a long time, about a thousand years, and that their influence is very light and limited, mostly telepathy, visions and cathedrals, you know, because they're shaped like cathodes, they can receive telepathic energy. Um, <clears throat> so visions throughout Europe, uh, people being called heretics because they talk to invisible spirits, tell them to do stuff, even go to war like we saw with Joan of Arc. Um, these, this is evidence of influence. You could say, oh, that's God. But you could also say maybe somebody's playing tricks, Wizard of Oz, Oz style. You know, behind the curtain, they're, they're simulating telepathy, um, saying, hey, I'm a you know, saint, this and that, you know, Augustine, and I'm speaking to you now, and I need you to do this for me. If this is the case, if, that's, if it really was humans, then you got to look at their strategy. What were they trying to do? You got indigenous races all over the planet, which are impossible to conquer, not going to fall for anything. And you have to have some sort of schism that sort of jumpstarts conflict that can be controlled so that you can then play both sides. We all know the deep state has always played both sides. At that point, we can go to world war. And after world war, they're in charge of us. That appears to be the timeline we saw since about the 16th century. Gradual organization on Earth for war. Um, <clears throat> I'm trying to remember what my point was there. 
That's a great point um, to make. Sorry, we I see the same thing going there. on now. That's yeah, why yeah, I was exactly. talking about. That's why I was kind of going with the cyclic thing. Like it seems like the same thing is going on now, and maybe the cycles are less uh, longer periods than we thought, and it's more of a couple hundred years instead of a couple thousand because they kind of. Right. It was kind of rebuilt after the mud flood and you those old pictures you see of them digging the mud out and the, yeah. there's a horse and cart and it's like it doesn't make any sense the way that those buildings are and the mud and the horse yeah. and cart they built up since then. our technology yeah. is shot through the roof and then all of a sudden we're being right you know divided and conquered again. that's one of the, that's one of the biggest yeah. points of all actually um one of the biggest evidence that this is not natural if it was natural then we would just go back to all that technology of the 18th century it was quite advanced it was free and all that Somebody has clearly taken advantage of this reset and sort of made a metered system where everyone has to pay and receive their energy from a central authority. Um, the type of technologies that we see in these paintings um, that we hear about, uh, sound cannons and so forth, airships, um, they could not have possibly hid that from people unless they purposely lied about these, these technologies, suppressed them and covered them up. So what am I talking about here? I'm talking about the Napoleonic Wars. The Napoleonic Wars predate the mud flood by only a matter of years. They seem to be the trigger for this event. So that's the point I forgot earlier. Um, why would humans on Mars go to this length? Did they, did they something fail? Did they, you know, is this plan B or plan C or D? And the answer is just got to look at the Napoleonic Wars. Um, they spawned from the Jesuit uh, expansion of, the, of you know, all of Earth. They went all over the planet in the 17th century. Um, the French and the Spanish, as they're known today, uh, short white people went all over the planet and tried to convert everyone over into monotheism. Um, they didn't. They didn't just have you know hymns and, and beautiful songs and stuff. They actually had a lot of advanced technology too. And um, one one side of this coin was spreading technology and sharing it. The other side of this coin was using advanced weaponry to intimidate people who did not go along with the plan. As we see with the Spanish edict uh, of 1513, if you read it, um, basically makes it very clear that if you guys, the Native Americans, do not go along with our you know, conquest, that we will enslave your children and, and, and kill you and put everything over to the church's authority. You're going to be on the yoke of the church, is what they say. Um, that does not sound like a religious authority to me. That sounds like somebody using religion to control people. So there's evidence that this uh, Jesuit uh, expansion was really friendly and also really intimidating. They're doing it all at the same time. Napoleon uh, represents the climax of that whole story. They spread all over the world. They got a lot of people to, to believe in monotheism. And then something went wrong. The whole plan completely turned on itself and failed. Um, what was the plan? Um, Napoleon was supposed to ends the religious schism of Europe by invading Russia, by invading uh, Tataria, as it was known, and doing a counter-crusade in revenge for the crusades that the Rusthord Empire led onto Western Europe during the Inquisition. Um, this, of course, again, Fomenko's version of history, based on new chronology. This is not Scaligerian history. And um, and, and in, in Fomenko's timeline, it's very clear that... Um, this expansion um, of the 18th century changed the nature of religion. A lot of people, um, like in Africa, for example, um, went from belie uh, believing um, that 
the god that they used to worship of ancient Egypt, for example, um, had been killed by Set and the body been been dumped all over the world or into the Nile, um, that it was gone forever. And then suddenly in the 18th century, they believe that that god is back and that the um, he's here to, to rule again. The Sphinx is rebuilt and, um, and it's all because of the Jesuits. Suddenly, uh, the plan fails. So what do I mean by that failing? Napoleon frees Africa. He destroys the Sphinx. He cuts the nose off and the beard. A very symbolic gesture to show the slaves that this god is not back and that we, he's actually back to normal now. His, his parts are missing again and buried again. Um, what Napoleon did with these gestures, and that's not the only one, um, was essentially to offer all the indigenous tribes that the Jesuits had conquered an alternate to what the Holy Roman Catholic Church was about to put on all of them. And that is, you keep everything um, as is, and and you keep your own culture. That's it. You no more communism, no no, uh, you know, um, slavery to the church. Uh, it's, it's a good, good deal. Um, an example of this is the French calendar. If you look at the French calendar that was created by Napoleon, they reset all the dates. They got rid of all those Roman names, you know, August and and um, Julius and July and all that. And every month was named after the type of season environment that the seasons bring during that month. Uh, you know, foggy, rainy, that kind of thing. It's really cool. Go check out that calendar. It lasted about 10 years during Napoleon's reign. And then he was defeated in this spectacular loss in, in, um, in, uh, in Russia. Um, he loses 420,000 soldiers in a matter of months. So um, <clears throat> my point is that this war, this First World War, which is in 1812, and it was in Russia, sorry, it was in Europe and Asia, and it was here in America too. Although in America, we say 1812 war was between uh, colonists and the British, but the British were a vassal state of the Russo-Orban Empire back there before America declared independence. So um, um, the Russo-Orban Empire fell apart in 1775. America declares independence. Britain does not, um, you know, Australia does not, Japan does not. They all remain vassal to this old empire, which is now a power vacuum. Um, so anyway, the uh, point is, um, when Napoleon... Uh, ruined the Jesuit plan when he started this whole new French reset culture. Um, when he was defeated, they could not leave his enemies behind either because his enemies were the old enemies and he was now the new enemy. So it seems to me that he caused the, the need for a complete reset because by leaving either side of this, um, this European schism intact would have caused people to remember the old world and, and regroup. They had to do reset. Um, to that point, Siberia. Today, if you look at Siberia, it's this giant wasteland. You got sub uh, negative 60 degree temperatures. It's completely ridiculous. Um, you got these giant holes forming out of the ground, even today. Uh, no one knows exactly why they happen. All of a sudden, the ground can explode and a 10-foot cr crater can appear with fire. Um, this is a land that has been clearly... Um, Scarred is is not a natural habitat. Uh, this ecosystem is thrown off. It's um, and that's that's basically from the Kremlin all the way northeast in Asia. This location, as you guys know, is is now being described as Tataria because in 2014, uh, the Russians started releasing these maps um, showing us this kingdom spanning all the way to the ocean, ports all along the ocean, 
and then ports here in America too. A bunch of uh, Tatarian buildings uh, from California to DC. They're just this whole continent was actually inhabited by an advanced civilization. So that civilization had to go. And the ones that, that, Fr that France reset, the, the culture that Napoleon had created, had to go. Um, and after those two entities were put down, a new entity had to be chosen as the ones that would inherit the earth. This is the British. The British don't know where they came from. They are in complete denial of their own history, just like the Chinese. They, they believe something that's just not true. They believe that they're part of an old empire that has existed for thousands of years with a line of kings. But the word British is actually the same word as bright, and it means white. England is actually the same word as angel, and angel also means white. Um, there's nothing necessarily... Um, uh, uh, no, no factors associated with skin color here, but we are, but we're talking about Northern locations on earth, the entire Northern region of earth, that's Siberia, that's England, that's, uh, um, Norway. Uh, you had people who had white skin color because they tend to live in, live in buildings where it's habitable, not get much sunlight. And, uh, in the central region of earth, you tend to have people with dark skin color. So the reason Britain is called Britain is because it's the white land. But that name was not associated to the islands that we now call Britain, associated to the entire northern region of Earth, including Siberia. That whole region was the British Empire, and the British Empire did span the Earth. See what I'm saying here? So when the Tatarian Empire was erased and America, North America, declared independence from the British Tatarian Empire, somebody, somebody, you know, the, the rulers of Earth, the deep state, decided, nope. We're going to tell everyone from now on that Britain was that old Tatarian empire, that they were that history. And that's, that's why the British in the 19th century sort of claimed it all. They had ties to it all. They had ties to Japan, places where they were not culturally embedded at all. But in the 19th century, they suddenly show up and they're like, we kind of own you guys, Japan. You're, you're a vassal state. Let's, let's go to World War II. You know, let's... Um, Let's, you know, let's use, use you guys to trigger World War II. Um, this is not by coincidence, this is by design. Uh, Japan was not vassal to England's islands. It was vassal to the entire northern region of Earth. You guys see what I'm saying? Yeah. It, it's given me this whole weird picture of the Earth as basically all the, all the land masses being together. And that would explain why all the buildings look so similar. And then the space laser comes down, breaks everything apart. Everything fucking separates, and at the same time, there's water and mud going everywhere, and boom, here we are today. It makes think, a lot of sense. Do you think any of them are on Earth, though, helping facilitate the plan right now? Yeah, yeah here's the thing. Um, um, it's not like aliens we've been seeing in Hollywood. This whole Hollywood thing came as an attempt to control this narrative. Since we started calling Life on Mars science fiction in the 20th century, Hollywood has been on a mission to, to prove that it is fiction. Um, it, yeah, we used to call aliens Martians. They were just Martians. Yes. Yep. A very interesting thing, if you look at the Battle of L.A., this is an incident where, um, I think right after Pearl Harbor, or maybe it was before, a few months before or after Pearl Harbor, something happened in L.A. L.A. was attacked, and people thought that it was another Japanese raid. So they um, pulled out their guns and started firing at the sky. Um for two hours in the Battle of L.A., 
ground cannons in Los Angeles fired at this location in the sky for two hours. The location didn't move. And it did not get damaged. The shrapnel, uh, you could look up the story. It's it's out there. There's some pictures. Um, yeah, there are pictures of it. And the pictures are said, yeah, this, this said the pictures are from searchlights shining off the clouds yeah. and that the soldiers are too stupid to stop firing at the searchlights. I, I don't know about that story. Um, that sounds, I, I trust these soldiers way more than that. I know what, what's going on there. They they saw something there because their eyes are so sharp because they're trained to, to spot planes, you know, 100 miles away. That's what they do all day. So when they see something in the sky, they start firing at it and it doesn't get destroyed. This is, you know, important fact here. Um, so um, what could possibly explain that? Um, the shrapnel did fall to the ground and actually killed some people, hit them and their buildings. So we know the shrapnel hit, but there's technology there that cannot be destroyed. Um, uh, anti-gravity technology, which is uh, spinning in nature, re- re- relies on electromagnetic fields that spin. When you charge a field to such a degree that with so much energy and so much spin, it becomes invulnerable to damage. And this ship was invulnerable to damage. So this was not Japanese airplanes. In fact, if you think about it, this is somebody that was about to simulate Japanese airplanes. And if you look back at Pearl Harbor, at the facts of Pearl Harbor, what they really saw, they saw the planes, but they never saw the boats. Well, that could have been a simulated battle too. Somebody could have literally been trying to to pretend that these countries were at war with each other when they had no reason to be and triggering wars here in the, in the 20th century. So do you think it wasn't actually ETs as much as uh, the they that we talk about so much? That's just trying oh, to so, stir. Sorry. Yeah. To, to Jen's question. Sorry. I forgot. Um, uh, yeah. Like that is their influence, but are they here? That was the question. Um, there are some serious limitations to consider here. Stuff they don't tell us about in aliens, but is, you can read Nazimov books. So there's a lot of detail that aliens cannot, um, just come into Earth and just walk around. They they get killed off by our, by our bacteria and our immune systems, and in fact, they can't even get used to them. Uh, they they would have to deal a great deal of of uh, being sick to stay here. They they cannot get past it, and it's because life on Mars is very different. You got half the sun, um, you know, intensity. You got half your you know the ability to have an immune system. It's very cold there. Uh, uh, Martians do rely on technology, and their water is seasonal. It's it's um. Life is dependent on the central authority uh, as credit, um, social credit system, and all that kind of stuff. Um, again, described in Asimov and Ray Bradbury and a couple other authors, which are now, con- you know, Asimov is, is recent enough to, we know is science fiction, but some of these early uh, 20th century writers may not have been. So, anyway. Asimov. Asimov. Right. Who was yeah. that? Isaac Asimov. Sorry. Science fiction writer talked about uh, interstellar life and how uh, the sun was humans- involved with the yeah he, he was a he was a deep state writer for sure so back to the point his son was yeah okay. yeah right, um so martians can't really just visit earth but they can fly around in their ships and not land and be more or less safe um the ships can travel between earth and mars i heard it's about 15 minutes it takes uh during opposition when the planets are pretty close mars is a lot closer and, and smaller than nasa says the universe is incorrectly scaled to you know, and what also has an atmosphere apparently, yeah, since totally. just on water, yeah, yeah, yeah. Before you know, the 60s, if you look at a movie or TV show, Mars always showed an atmosphere, Robinson Crusoe on Mars breathing and everything. And suddenly, in like 80s and Total Recall, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger's head explodes or almost does, um, trying to tell us that Mars does not have an atmosphere and it's a vacuum, okay, fine, you know, but Mars has an atmosphere, and now they're finally saying it has water too. Thank you guys, you know, NASA's admitting that Mars has water, though they're 
they're being very iffy about how and where it works, not causing it seasonal, definitely not looking at rivers or oceans yet. You know, it's all underground and stuff. Fine. Mars has water. It's hard to get to. So uh, when they influence Earth's affairs, it's almost entirely remote control. A lot, a lot of remote control. Remote control humans, remote control technology. And this is one part I'm going to deviate here a little bit. I'm a huge War of the Worlds fan. I've been just so heavily influenced by this book and the album. Uh, my dad used to play it all time, Jeff Wayne music album from 1967. And um, so I've been just thinking about this stuff my whole life. It wasn't until about four years ago that I, I started believing science fiction could actually be true. But um, but um, <clears throat> I was thinking a lot about War of the Worlds um, and how it relates to events here on Earth. Um, in, in school, I did a presentation of the uh, broadcast from Orson Welles, one of the weirdest events in, in American history, broadcasting, um, where basically people in the East Coast thought that Martian tripods had been invading. Um, if you look at newspaper clippings, you'll see that tens of thousands of people got in their cars and fled, um, or actually way higher numbers than that. Um, this is not something that a radio broadcast could have caused. This is something that um, may have actually happened and they got covered up. Uh, in the book, they actually say how it gets covered up. They say that all forms of communication basically end as soon as these things start moving. They land, it takes a bit for them to get up in the air, and then they, then that's it. Everything is cut off. You don't hear anything more from that region. This has always been the story. So um, could this have ever really happened on Earth? Possibly in the, in the 19th, 20th centuries after the mud flood, these machines would have been very useful to help rebuild these cities where humans cannot um, operate. The mud flood apparently caused 40 years of uninhabitable um, environment throughout the planet. Something like 75% of all life died, all life, including fish. Um, it was a very devastating event. That's why, that's why all those dinosaur theories, it's where it comes from. So we actually know it can happen. It's also where, why you see fossil fuels everywhere. Those aren't fossils. Those are just buried recently trees, animals, you name it, um, under pressure. That's why are they under nice. pressure? Yeah. Because, no, not dinosaurs, no. I mean, it could be. It could, could be sau sauropods and stuff, but it was not hundreds of millions of years ago, that's for sure. Um, what was the point we were talking about? Let's try to remember. <laughs> I am so, hey, well, oh, yeah, we're the worlds. We're the worlds. Yeah, yeah we're I'm the spacing. Worlds. So, um, yeah, here's another one for you. Uh, the Fire of London, uh, ninth, uh, what year 1666. On September 6th, probably at 6 p.m., who knows? Um, the whole city of London burned down. A uh, bunch of wood buildings. And then after that, life in London was reorganized. Um, if you look at the phantom time hypothesis theory, you can see that um, a 1,000 years was added to the timeline. If you remove a 1,000 from that number, you get the year 666. If the city of London was burned down on the year 666, then we can see a plan at the works. Somebody told somebody that there was a God out there who operated by these numbers. That's, those numbers in particular come from the description of Jerusalem when it was in the sky and the collinear configuration and when it was built on earth by humans. There was six uh, pillars and six walls and three sections. So this number represents Jerusalem. And somebody in London may have told somebody, hey, guys, we're not listening to God right now. He's angry at us, and he's going to show up soon. We're going to witness him soon. And the other side of Europe, in Asia, you had um, a Jewish movement. You can look up on Wikipedia. A Jewish prophet predicting that God would show up in the year uh, 1666. 
Same year, exactly. So on that date, you got a fire in London. You got a false prediction in Asia by a Jew who converts to Islam after his prediction fails. But actually, his prediction didn't really fail. He just got to be in the right country. Um, this is exactly what I would expect from Martians if they're trying to convince people that God or devil or someone out there is influencing their affairs. They're going to say, a date's coming up and you will see God appear. So how do you see how do you see that happen? Well, um, it, it, in uh, the War of the Worlds album, in the book, in almost every version of it ever depicted, the Martian tripods are compared directly to demons. They actually, everyone just assumes that they are demons in the book. And, and they say, oh, wow, God's demons are showing up. He's clearly angry at us. So it does seem that there's evidence that people were did make that conclusion that these tripods were sent by something that's angry at us. And from then on, we have to sort of do what, you know, that God says. Um, in England now, you can find two statues of tripods in, in the city of London uh, near Horsell Common. And um, the, these tripods are supposed to be tributes to the Jeff Wayne album, you know, but it just occurs to me that they're real tripod statues in London from a real event. Um, the only recently in the 20th century did they ever start believing that these events were fiction. So got off topic a little bit there, but yeah, War of the Worlds, one of my favorite books. No, you're okay. I think people are so easily influenced, though. They just believe whatever they're told. So yeah. if someone says on mainstream media, oh, these are just fictional events, look at this, they just say it's that. And if someone challenges it, they're stupid, according right. to you know the mainstream. Well, until recently when people started really you know, focusing on certain things and questioning almost I everything. Know, yeah, people are waking up now. It's cool. But yeah, yeah it's, it's unfortunate like that a people... war on knowledge is what <laughs> it seems like, you know. Yeah. Fact check. I'm sorry, yeah. I'm going to fact check that statement right now. This is my independent opinion, but yeah. uh, I'm not sure about what you said. Yeah, it's so dumb. Like the fact checking is such bullshit. I'm over it. Yeah. I they think claim the, they claim the word facts and then they claim the word woke, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mark, you've been a little quiet over there. You got anything to, to pop in on here? No, I uh, I gotta say I'm really uh, I'm really interested to look further into Isaac Asimov and Ray Bradbury because I've had their books for not all of their books, but I've had a few titles written by them on my shelves for a while, and yeah, I'd love to to maybe see if I could glean some of what Ari's inciting at, you know, and and definitely uh, I. You know, the Chronicles, the Martian Chronicles by Ray Bradbury comes to mind. I don't know if you've read that one, Ari, but yeah, it's fascinating. You hear that with Jules Verne's as well. Like a lot of these authors who were at this time period, uh, the lines are extremely blurred. You know, we, we know them as fictional authors now, but I mean, context has changed so much. How do we know, you know, how much, you know, we even see movies today with, uh, you know, they take a fictional sort of take on a true story and they say based on a true story. I think that's possibly what's going on. Uh, I think another person that comes to mind is Philip K. Dick. He even admitted like, hey, all this stuff I experienced, you know, whether he was dreaming or not, he actually experienced what he ended up writing. The man in, in the high castle. Books. Memories. Yeah. He and said all that, that was a memory of his. Right, right. He actually watched it because of that, even though it had terrible reviews. And the entire thing was amazing. The whole thing, beginning to end. It was never bad. And anyone who gives it a shitty review, I think, is a fucking chill. Like, it, it was really good. 
Of course, yeah, it's check shit. it. Very cool. Well, Chris, you got anything else? Uh, are you got anything else? Mark? Yeah. Let me throw you something else at you guys. Just something that's kind of mind blowing. Something I realized recently. Um, and I could be totally wrong, but I mean, like I said, the, this hypothesis of the mud flood theory uh, scarily lines up with everything. And so let me just give you an example. Um, <clears throat> the Exodus story. This is a story that um, is clearly African in nature, but for some reason, the Europeans stole it. And now they believe that only a white chosen group of people with a few black slaves were the ones that were part of the Exodus. Um, if you look back at the Africans um, indigenous version of the Exodus uh, religion, you'll see that there's no chosen people or anything like that. That whole Bible narrative came from Europe and uh, was written essentially when the Bible was written, uh, allegedly in the 15th century, if you want to believe that, but, it was mass produced in the 19th century, you know, like right after the mud flood, the Bible was mass produced and distributed all over the planet. The Quran was mass produced and distributed all over the planet and where it was acceptable. And so was um, the Torah. Um, not, be not before the 19th century had any of these texts gotten that kind of attention or had anyone decided what was going to be in them yet. Um, so you got this Noah story and this Noah story is clearly stolen from Africa. Um, and they're saying that the Europeans, you know, they went to Palestine. Fomenko says, well, they couldn't have gone there because you can't live there. So they, they went to uh, Istanbul, Turkey. And, um, and that's where Jerusalem was. So they're all fighting over where Jerusalem is. But cut that part of the story out. The Africans never had anything like that. They had exodus from the slave empire. We were all slaves and now we're all free. Why were we free? Because the passage of the angel of death. What was that? Something that appeared over the sky, kind of devastated the land a little bit. It proved that the priests weren't, you know, the ones in charge. And since then, Africa has been free. And they remember this event because it actually happened. Um, the part of the event that they also don't remember is the 40 years wandering in the desert because they never did that. Um, uh, you know, any modern Jewish theologian would just say, oh, that's because that they're not the ones representing the Torah. It was the ones that read it, writ wrote it and did the oral version of it. Well, not true. The Africans have an oral version too. And like I said, there was no wandering in the desert because that doesn't make sense. Why would they stay in the, in the Sahara Desert? Why don't they, or the Egyptian Desert? Why wouldn't they go south where it's more habitable in Africa? So, or of anywhere course, else. Right, or anywhere else. Yeah, so of course it did, right? So, um, so something has to explain the 40 years wandering in the desert. I mean, that's a big one. That's a mystery. I uh, can't explain that from uh, ca um, catastrophic uh, cosmology, um, like. Uh, What's his name? Um, I forget all the names of the authors also. Um, Velikovsky? Velikovsky, yeah. Velikovsky catastrophism explains a great deal, hypothetically, but does not explain certain details of the Bible and Torah. I had to take Torah class uh, in Hebrew school when I was a kid, and um, a rabbi basically had us read the whole Exodus story and explain the details to us. Um, I was actually um, surprised by how much detail there is. I mean, it's like goes into detail about what the manna is. You know, it's like this heavy and it's warm and it feels like this and you eat it, it keeps you alive. It's just detailed, you know, it, it's hard to make stuff up like that. Um, so I'm saying, I realized recently that the Exodus story seems to be a redaction of an actual event too, but one that occurred recently. And the Exodus um, as written in the Bible is a combination of both the Exodus story in Africa and the deliverance story 
of the mud flood reset. What is deliverance? We've heard that term our whole life, right? Um, you know, God delivers us into some holy promised land or something like that. And um, again, it never appeared in any holy text until the Bible was mass produced. So this deliverance event that occurred to me recently is recently. It's a recent event. It describes the cargo cults in detail. You got 40 years of desert. That's the whole planet is a desert, all of Earth, due to the mud flood. No more trees, no more wildlife, nothing to hunt. And you have God essentially keeping everyone alive, delivering them to a promised land. Uh, God is literally floating around in the sky. I remember these details in the Torah. He appears in the sky and he drops down manna. This manna falls to the earth in giant chunks. And people, you know, they, they build houses out of it. That was the weird part. I couldn't even understand that deal. You eat it, keeps you alive, keeps you warm. And you can build a house out of it too. Well, that just sounds like cargo. The stuff that they're giving you is edible. And it's also stuff you can build with this cargo. This 40 years wandering in a desert clearly describes the mud flood event and the cargo cults created all over the planet as somebody from the sky in hovering crafts, flying saucers, you name it, delivers cargo to people before the train tracks were able to be built, going after all of the survivors because they did not want them to all die. This is not the plan, you know, to wipe out life on earth and, and you know, repopulate slowly. They want these people back in charge, go, you know, go into the, churches and, and, and start worshiping their God, like right away. So um, the Exodus story, like I said, is is clearly been something given to religions, um, Abrahamic religions of the 19th century, because it happened in the 19th century. And all of these people were delivered into their promised lands, which they now live in today, like Colorado, for example, completely new land, lightning scarred out of the ground. Beautiful, actually. And if you go to Colorado, I got two parking tickets there and Lost my driver's license, so I'm kind of biased about it. But they are very cultish over there. I think everyone agree with me. They don't like outsiders, and they, they give you tickets for everything. And they got a lot of weird, you know, like secret societies, owl stuff, and Denver Airport has all this mystery to oh, it. Yeah. So we're talking about a recently created, very religious, secret society-run state. It seems to me that these people were delivered into Colorado. Again, uninhabitable location in 19th century. That location needed trains. Those trains had to carve through the mountains, and this was so so hard that um, it presents a modern mystery today. How how was the Colorado Rockies carved by those Chinese laborers, and where are they today? Where's their the signs of all of their efforts? How did they do it? You know, all these questions cannot be answered even today. These regions that have train tracks carving through mountains may in fact have been carved by machines and not humans at all. Dude, this is why we need to have you and you know other people like you along with mainstream historical researchers to duke it out because yeah. i would really love to see that i i want to see you hit them across the jaw with your uh knowledge fist and just knock them cold because we never hear anybody talk about this from the other side so it is yeah. one of those you know preaching to the choir things where we're all like well, they yeah can't, though. they're up. just like no but i read this and it must be right like that's all right. they have they're just, I learned this in school, so. See this book. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't do their yeah. own independent research. Mark, yeah. you were talking there? You about to pipe in? Uh, no, I was just thinking of a joke to make because mm -hmm. I just think it'd be funny if you did a debate show called like the, 
you know, hardball, legit bat debates or something. You know, I don't know. Ari <laughs> likes baseball. He might, he might appreciate it. I'm up for it. Yeah, let's do it. Let's uh, do good, it. Good, yeah, good precedent would be, um, again, uh, Velikovsky in the, uh, I think, 60s. He, he had a debate with Carl Sagan, right? Big live debate, public debate. And both sides really? declared victory. Yeah, so, I mean. It, it, Carl Sagan's know. so peaceful, though. Carl Sagan's so sweet. Oh, yeah. What but he does. was nobody he until does. he I'm... debated Velikovsky. And then, like I said, they both declared victory. You know, that's exactly <laughs> what happens every time. They say, well, according to our research, we're right. And we don't believe in your research you know, precedents. We don't, we don't subscribe to these various theories at the end. So we already know how yeah. this debate ends. But I would love to do it, you know. That, that's exactly how it would end too and they, it, it's the same thing with the covid shit now not to get on that i'm not doing that i'm just for Straight. reference everybody has their own yeah everybody has their own set of facts and studies and everything that they bring against the other side and they have their own facts and studies and it's yeah. just an impact it's a heart uh what do they call that a it appears we have reached an impasse yeah Yeah, no we have friends that you know are super pro-vax and we're not and we still play cards against humanity and have fun with them and it's no big deal but the world's more normal than uh, for the most part that's not really a thing and it sucks so it's nice to have a good fun argument where you disagree and then you can agree to disagree and then still have drinks later and that's how the fucking world should be you don't have to get along you don't you don't you can get along but you don't have to agree on everything no. Just be fucking nice, and it, and no one has to agree with what you believe. Yeah, yeah, Fine. but the people that don't believe that are the ones pushing so hard against certain things that I just won't mention because uh, this is media. this is going to go on YouTube. So I didn't want. I don't. Oh, wanna, yeah, I don't want to go too hard well, in that. I, one thing, <laughs> one thing that I could point out, I think Ari, you know, with his timeline, is doing people a really big service because what you can do is you can go and and take his timeline and compare it with what they tell us in the you know traditional chronology and you know weigh it out yourself and to your point about well both of them won the debate it's like yeah i think that's definitely the way debates used to go but with the podcasting world it's like you know the the listeners will decide who wins you know i mean really it would be determined at the end of the day by how many people sign up for your patreon versus the other guy's patreon or something like to that effect like that's how things seem to to weigh out now but yeah i uh i i thought the the point you made about the 40 was interesting because you see that come up in some really interesting uh maybe tangential information that ross ben has put together in his book uh great mystery philadelphia that i was kind of flipping through to that Hmm. portion and a lot of strange events uh line up with this like 40 by 40 and they even built um a building the first one of the first buildings ever built in philadelphia and they called it like 40 by 40 on the 40th parallel and it was built by 40 men like it was a really strange combination of 40 and then if you look like the philadelphia experiment um happened you know 40 years before the montauk experiment happened and that was 40 years ago from like i think now so we definitely have some strange theme with the word with the number 40. wow well let me put this way um um a lot of this i believe a schism with people fighting over reality you know choose your pill and all that um actually also um, relates directly to the world's conflicts, especially the ones between Russia and, um, and everyone else. And you see Russia has been playing a very fine strategy this whole time. They're even making economic trade with China right now. 
when no one else is. They're, they're playing really smart. And what has been held back this whole time since, you know, even Rocky V is this actual world peace that we've not gotten there yet because we're just, our, our country, a bunch of other ones are still not willing to make peace with that country, with Russia, because we simply do not agree with their version of history as they teach it in school because they teach the other side of the coin of World War II. Now, if you guys remember, World War II, we were allies. For some explicable reason, we allied with the communists for World War II. And then when it was over, we had a Cold War. That Cold War wasn't really about power. It was about reality. It was either going to be a communist reality or a you know, whatever, you know, deep state, capitalist, clandestine empire, hidden. You know, it's the two, two versions of a, a very powerful strategy that was, that was fighting back then. And all of those wars in South Asia, especially, um, have not been resolved yet. You know, we have not talked about any of that stuff yet, how World War II ended or Vietnam or any of those. Um, Vietnam still represents a big mystery to me. I'm still trying to figure that one out. And, and the point is, when we finally talk to Russia, w- when we finally put down our, our, you know, our bad attitude that we have and just say, tell us what you believe, then we're going to find out that they, they actually agree with everything we agree and that their perspective is completely different. You know, whereas we agree that this and that about Jesus, so they don't worry about it. We agree this and that about, you know, the origin story of earth, about, about, you know, St. Petersburg, you name it. They're actually going to agree with everything, except we're going to have to give up a couple, you know, uh, things that we have been sticking to this whole time that are simply not true. Uh, the idea that, um, that the ar- victories of armies are decided by God. That's something that was heavily determined in World War II. Uh, something um, that World War II was a justified war, that we were right to join it. All these kinds of things. Once we finally answer those questions correctly, we will have world peace that we've been denied this whole time. And then we will simply get to hear everyone's story. Um, and that's it. We don't have to fight over which reality we're, we're in. It won't matter anymore. So got off kind of topic there but uh just sit around the campfire and just talk yeah. about it Kumbaya. what about china though? china is the worst like not china the ccp china ccp is literally the biggest threat to everything right now and they border yeah. on russia they have very similar um views on how they should run their country communism is awesome yeah. to them and it's so scary because they just pretend they're amazing they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we rule everything. We win this. We win that. They cheat and steal their way into technology and money and everything. They're torturing people and killing them daily. And that's totally fine. I, I just don't understand how. That's, that's wild. Powerful. Yeah. So, yeah, actually, that, that's what I was talking about. Um, we had all these wars in South Asia, and then we just kind of left. And um, in World War II, uh, we sort of attacked Japan. And in the name of uh, protecting China and many other things and stopping Russia. Now, think about Russia. They were the center of communism, Bolshevik Revolution. They spread all over Europe and it's definitely spread over China. In the 20s, the CCP was um, founded. And then they finally founded a country, China, in 1949, very recently, actually, uh, one year after founding Israel. Um, USSR fell. That communism fell apart in the 90s. This was something nobody expected to happen. Everyone thought that communism would be there forever. What everyone forgets is that it fell in Russia, but didn't fall in China. It just kept going. So we've had a back door in China this whole time since we sort of helped in World War II and then 
started taking their cheap products, looking the other way at their slave labor for like 80 or 90 years. And so again, that unanswered question about how World War II ended is, is biting us in the butt. And until we answer those questions, you know, was Hitler wrong? Was, did the Holocaust occur in Germany or did it occur in Russia, in Siberia? Everyone knows about Siberia and the gulags. So why are we even blaming Germans? Uh, you know, let's get, to, let's get to the bottom line about this stuff um, and just be honest about it. And we haven't done that yet. Um, we're still, you know, pushing a very linear version of, uh, of 20th century history today. So back to your point, CCP, um, they've just been doing what they've been doing this whole time. They've been acting communist social credit system. Um, nobody complained about them. They have such influence in our media today. And, uh, and then all of a sudden in, uh, you know, in the last few years, everyone's panicking, but there's no need to panic. Um, when it comes to communists, they are not very aggressive when they are not advantageous. The plans in motion for communism to spread in this planet have been totally halted. They've been talked about our whole lives and before we were born. I can find countless interviews of people complaining that every last thing coming out of Hollywood, like Glenn and, or Glenda, you know, all those kind of movies have to be communism, an invasion of communism. So we've had people on top of this whole time. And, um, and now the plans have been sort of turned on themselves and halted. There's nothing really to worry about as far as an invasion. China's not going to invade us. They, they're not like that. Um, they were going to take over if everyone in this country happens to be wiped out by some bug, though, and that was sort of in the plans for a while there. That's yeah, misinformation. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm just, I'm just reading a book right now about um, a lady who is – she wasn't a Uyghur. She was Kazakh, but similar to the Uyghurs hmm. in China, Muslim, and they just – the CCP just came in and kind of – they moved to a village finally after living kind of in the wilderness forever, and they just – dug holes around them, took everything, took their animals, did what this was years ago too. And just the way that they move in, it's so slow. It's just a creeping. There's no, um, yeah. there's nothing that comes in and is in your face and scary. It's, it's what nothing. What about the Gong, what they're doing to them over there? I don't know about that. What's that? There, I cannot believe this is on Amazon prime, but there's a documentary called human harvest. I mean, that's where they're doing so many organ transplants, taking them yep. from the Falun Gong while they're living. It's people, true. While they're alive. Like, the oh, this is, they, yeah, they do this with the Uyghur community, yeah. too. This lady that I'm reading the book on, she was a trained doctor. So she was taken to a prison camp and she was doing organ transplants and harvesting. Yep. And she couldn't say anything because she had to the join. The main harvest was in Wuhan, right? Yeah. Yeah. The main harvest center. Yeah. It's so scary, and you have Human to do Harvest it. Is on Amazon Prime, and it is wow. a shocking documentary. And I can't believe it's on Amazon. Nobody's I can't believe this it. is happening in real <laughs> life. This is happening right now. It's it not is. just a show that we can watch. It's a thing that someone's living through right now, and it's so disgusting that no one's doing anything. Not that we're not like we can't. Like we obviously don't have the means to go there right now with. All of the COVID, you know, restrictions. Sorry, I know you're putting this on YouTube. My bad, but eh. um, <laughs> we can't really do anything. It's just happening. We just have to kind of watch it happen around us and bring attention to it and hope that other people notice. That's all you, you you mentioned before the um like the the dynasty with the Rusward Empire in Britain, and then you mentioned China briefly also because I remember. Uh, when we did, I think Joe uh, was there for that as well. 
uh, the last Tartaria kind of roundtable we did with Michelle Gibson. Um, yeah, of course you're yeah. there, Joe. And um, I brought up China being like, you know, kind of our record into the past and, and maybe disproving that thousand year uh, phantom timeline theory. But, you know, I definitely think you might have some stuff to say on the contrary, right? Can you elaborate on why they might be lying about that uh, dynasty and where the gaps are in that, like, uh, Chinese lineage? You bet. Uh, terracotta army, right? All these statues buried underground. It's one of the um, it's one of the proofs that China has of their own history, which has been heavily debunked in modern times, uh, to the point that people that go there seem to to see what's going on for real. They say these people under closed dome are literally creating these statues from nothing. And I don't think. And the guy said he doesn't think they realize that they're doing it. They they think they're 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 preserving, extracting them, but they're creating them. And that's sort of how how level of brainwashing things can get um, at that point. So um, one example, terracotta armies. Another example, the um, Great Wall of China. Okay, take a look at the map of the Great Wall, and um, and just try to think about it. Try to think about the strategy of building that wall, and just try to look for a website or article that explains that strategy. Just tell us why they did it like that. You got walls all over the place. You got um, breaks all over the place. Um, you have an entire western side of China that has no wall <clears throat> that Mongolians could have easily walked through. You got eastern side of China, which is entirely ports and has no wall either. So the Great Wall of China makes no sense. It, it was not built um, in places of strategy. It's just built in the highest peaks of certain hills, certain mountains. Um, the fact of, of a Great Wall is that most of it is missing. Up to 30% of it is not there. Um, the explanation is um, that it was removed by humans who wanted to build houses with it, which blows my mind. I mean, I can't believe that anyone in China would ever destroy something like that and try to build a house out of it. And not a single dynasty or government that I can imagine would ever allow such a thing either. But um, anyway, um, to, to, the, to the point, what is the Great Wall of China if it's not a, a fortress, if it's not an attempt to build a fortress around China? What is it? Um, Anatoly Fomenko points out clearly that the Mongolians are not a, a separate people, that they're actually just that resort empire and that they never really invaded. Uh, he questions whether or not there was an invasion. There wasn't, there wasn't a necessity for one. Uh, we're talking about a vassal state. Now, there is times when a vassal state has to be put down by the empire. That, there's plenty of that. That's different. That's not a Mongolian invasion. That's, that's the empire sends an army to say, hey, you guys are rowdy. We're going to shut you down a little bit. Um, so, so straight off, the Mongolians are not the explanation for the Great Wall of China. If you look at the map of Mongolia today, you can see that it's all desert and uninhabitable. Um, the movies make this very romantic, and but it's not a place that armies can can rise. So this is not an explanation, explanation for the Great Wall. A mud flood explanation for the Great Wall is that we are seeing lightning scarring in this region, uh, that this entire region was devastated. This... Um, South Asia region. Let me see if I can pull that map up. I'm just gonna grab. I'm gonna do another share if you guys are cool with it. Oh yeah, do it. Let's do it. Because this is cool. Um, rural Earth. The entire India region. If you take a look at it. Let's see oh, maps. Sorry. I guess. Yeah. There we go. Are you seeing my map now? Excellent. Yeah. All right. And where is the layers? 
Nope, I need satellite. Okay, so we got China. Um, Great Wall appears in this region up here. Um, and on the left here, you got you got a big opening. But take take a look at the Himalayan mountains. Um, this region, if you uh, I don't have a picture ready right, right now, but this region does not appear in old maps either. Um, one of the big things I noticed is that um, in this region here, um, in the old Tatarian maps, take a look at them. You got rivers flowing between the upper and lower areas, whereas here in modern day, the rivers are halted and they're going sideways around the edge of the, the boundaries of the Himalayan mountains. Um, you had this one river that used to go north to south, and um, you can see the traces of it here. And then today you have the Ganji instead, which I believe, well, I, I don't remember where that is. I wasn't ready to, to show it because my map was destroyed in the house fire. <laughs> but um, I'm going to get this map going again and show where these rivers used to be on the Tatarian map and where they lie today. The point is that this entire region seems to be lightning scarred from the from the top down, creating a desert. Something that does not does not have a natural explanation, could not have been weather, and and you see a great deal of dendritic scarring, which is uh, patterns that could be formed by water, but also appear in lightning, in dendritic scarring, lightning in lab in lab um, reproductions. Dendritic means uh, take. Uh, repeating shapes and they fill out all of the space in an area um i think you like went I over said, this last time with the uh yeah, stuff yeah excellent good so uh yeah and that's covered too much more but it does appear to me that if you I look at maps clearly see this is all there new. That, you know it's completely yeah it's a big right. and then again the same point in siberia this whole region appears to be lightning scarred um and just devastated. Nothing habitable anymore. Could it, and old maps don't show that. The old maps of Tataria show a vast empire with with capitals and buildings and everything, ports and seaports, that kind of thing. So yeah, um, maps. They do, I think a lot of the evidence has been left behind. Yeah, for sure. It did, that's the problem with all this stuff is there. There's so much left behind and so many things, so many unanswered questions that you can't ask if you ask it you look like a crazy person but we don't exactly. care you look like crazy people so right all right i'm done sharing cool oh you're done sharing right. yeah that's, that's enough enough oh there we go because i don't have all my maps ready i gotta go get, get that stuff together again <laughs> uh, Dude, yeah, yeah i want to finish, finish i do want to finish my video i just want to get as a little more solid some of my occlusions get my media together i'm, I'm targeting january i'm gonna try to get a video done in january that explains my theory of the mud flood energy events, as I see it, history, the reasons, awesome. how, who, why, all that kind of stuff. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Well, let yeah. us know when you finish that and we'll uh, absolutely definitely we'll put it out. Yeah. yeah. Yes, absolutely. Ma Mark or Chris, you got anything else to close out on? Any other plugs? No, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely enthralled as usual. It's always a pleasure to, to learn from Ari. And uh, it, like you said, brings a lot more questions to the table than answers, but I think that's why a lot of us come here. So it's been a pleasure. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me. My name is Mark, and you can find all my stuff at myfamilythinksomcrazy.com. And you can check uh, all of these podcasts out, including soon-to-be uh, Rained Out Rankcast on altmediaunited.com. Ari is even there, his website, paradigmthreat.net. And I actually 
think we put a bunch of videos too of different interviews Ari has been on there. So awesome. check out altmediaunited.com. Fuck yeah. Chris, Very cool. thank you for coming on. Yeah, thank thanks for having me. Uh, it's been a good one. Uh, I wasn't expecting to learn so much. <laughs> Dude, I know. Thank you. It, it's one of those ones where I'm just sitting back the whole time with a slack jawed going, uh, oh yeah, I'm the host. Fuck. <laughs> and Paradigm uh, Threat, that's your website, right, Ari? Right, yeah. Yeah, it's on that. yeah that's going in my bookmarks. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, Ari. I really got to update it. It's been about two years since I updated it. Well, thanks, guys. We appreciate it. Uh, we'll let you go for the night, but thanks everybody for listening. If you want to see the video to this, of course, Rockfin and check out Alt Media United for us and similar podcasts soon to be rained out as well, I guess. All right, guys, have a good night. Talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Peace.